I didn't think I was that good. Words from our guest, Steve Derrick, on today's episode. You know what stands out to me about that sentence? He didn't say, I'm not that good. He said he didn't think he was that good, right? It's always in our head. Our minds will make us believe anything, and often our minds try to tell us all the ways we are wrong and all of the ways what we are doing is not good enough. How many times have you said something like this? I can't do it. I'm not good enough. Well, our guest today thought he wasn't good enough, but he didn't care. He listened to his heart. He followed his passion. And you know what? He was pretty damn good. And people from all across the world noticed just how good he was. What do you say? Enough talk. Let's get over it. All right, so our guest today in the Get Over It podcast is Steve Derrick. I've never met Steve before. One of the one of the great things about me doing the show is I've been meeting new people, and this is the first forum that I get to know them. So I'm going to get to know Steve while the audience is getting to know him as well. Steve is, correct me if this title is incorrect, Steve, but a director of organizational development. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yep. All right. At, at Vicarious Visions, who uh, Steve is just telling me now is a, a Blizzard uh, studio. We're going to talk about that, which is a video game development company. He's been there for 22 years. Um, aside from you know this career, that I'm, I have qu- questions about video game development. I'm going to ask him a little bit. Um, Steve has a, a passion for art, in particular, um, and painting. And during the pandemic, which is where I saw some of this, that it was really inspiring. He was inspired by, like all of us, like a lot of us, I hope most of us, by the bravery bravery of the frontline healthcare workers. And he began painting portraits of images he saw of them. I think all of you out there probably saw those really dramatic pictures of those healthcare workers with their masks and lines on their face. Um, and so he began painting portraits of them, um, sending the portraits to, 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 the, to these individuals. It's a really inspiring story. He received a lot of recognition for it. And Steve is here today to talk to us about that and some more. Welcome to the show, Steve. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy so, to be here. Thank you. So upstate New York, have you been here? You've been here all your life? or No, you- no, no. I moved here 22 years ago for the job. I'm originally from Utah um, and uh, grew up in Utah, worked out in California, Utah, Arizona, and then uh, moved up here for Vicarious Visions back when it was a little startup company. And so were you always keen on video games? Like how does one get into video game development? Do you like video games or is it more the development aspect that drives it? Uh, I do love video games. I love art probably more so than video games, but I love art in video games. So I think 22 years ago, video games was pretty new. I mean, it's not that we didn't have games back then, but they were not top of mind for everybody. Uh, Before that I did... I have a degree from the University of Utah in painting and drawing. And then uh, after that, I got into doing storyboards for film and advertising companies, kind of like over at media. Did uh, comps and things things like that. Um, And that was freelance. I had kids. I thought, "Mm, I don't know if freelance is going to be a good (laughs) long-term thing for me. I needed something with benefits. So I went back to school and got a degree in computer animation. And during this time, I was – you know, I played video games. I love video games and found out that, holy cow, you could make a career in video games. And I'm, that was it. I'm like, okay, that's, that's where I'm focusing. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, right after school, that, that degree, I got a job here in upstate New York. So then, okay, so then you, you, went, you went back, you said, this is what I want to do, got it, and then found the job here. And then that's when you moved to upstate New York. But, yeah. But the thread was always art. 
right? I feel Thread like, was always art, right? Okay, so what? Talk to me about that. I, oh, this is always fascinating to me. So I'm neuroscientist by training, and I loved like there's always the nature nurture thing, you know, in science. You know, you're born with it. Do you acquire it? I always think it's a combination of both. But with <laughs> art, I am not an artist. I don't. I don't draw well. I don't. I don't do much well with art. So I feel like there is a lot of uh, nature there. Do you, where did you see it first? I mean, how young were you when you started to recognize art was really something that you loved? I think the going back to the nature nurture thing, what is it about neuroscience that really just gets you excited? What, why do you like neuroscience? I love neuroscience because there's something inside of our head that does everything for us that we do and no one really understands what that is. And that alone is fascinating. It's the big, it's the world's biggest computer that no one can crack. And that drives me. I really it's wanted exciting, to, right? I really wanted to understand what the hell that thing is and how it does what we, how it makes us do what we do. Yeah. It's very so, exciting. There are other scientists, other people that are really smart. Why aren't they all neuroscientists? Um, I don't know. Maybe they find other things more interesting. Maybe. Yeah. So I think with art, there are people that are pretty good with our high hand coordination and can see things and actually appreciate art really well, but just don't really have that internal drive to want to create and want to make things and see things and, um, express themselves in that way. So if I was to have you, a neuroscientist, try drawing a picture of a person and I teach you and you do it 950 times, eventually you're going to get pretty good at drawing whatever that is I ask you to draw, but you're not going to really care about deeply about that thing, right? But there are people, I think, that just really get excited about certain things and it is an emotional attachment. And you develop it through passion and you may have it do it differently than other, some, uh, some other people. But I think that's where kind of the passion behind art comes in so that, you know, I, for, I think the longest time back in middle school, you know, I was, uh, I go back to my defining moment being, um, I was a, uh, I lived in Utah and at the base of the mountains where I lived, they're pretty big mountains and you get these the yeah. snow on them and it would, you know, there's not a lot of trees in Utah like there are here. So when the sun sets, everything just turns pink, you know, mm. so it's like. So you had beautiful landscape. Yeah. They're, they're amazing landscape and the whole mountain would turn pink. And sometimes you'd get this wind on the top of the peaks, you know, they're like 10,000 feet in you know, these peaks. So you get this wind and the big plume of, of uh, snow coming off it would be i think this big pink flaming you know cloud it was just like wow that's so beautiful i want to be able to explain this to somebody i'm not a writer you know i can't explain and make you feel what this looks like but maybe i could draw that maybe i could get somebody and be able to explain that to other people through some sort of visual way. And it was from there, that was like defining moment. I want to be an artist. I want to be able to communicate things to people in the, that maybe they're not seeing. So you think that the skill, if you will, is can be acquired, but it's the, the passion for leveraging that skill and turning it into something beautiful that really separates the artist. Is that what you're saying? I, I think so. I, I mean, you could render something the same way I render something and I mean, it's going to look different for me, 
there's going to be a passion and a kind of something that'll come through. Now it's probably not that easy for some people to see, but I think that's that's my idea. What kind of separates artists from just craftsmen or um, something like that? So, so with that, with that eye, with that passion. So, like you said, in video, so video games which as a kid, I still, now my kid and I play with him, you know, one of the things that I actually noticed and I, as, as the technology has gotten so much more advanced and the games have become so much more real like, um, that they are a lot more beautiful, if you will. The scenery is incredible. Like I was just actually playing Zelda on uh, Nintendo switch with my, with my son. I grew up playing Zelda. Right. And I'm, I'm walking, th- I'm, you know, walking through these beautiful landscapes and the scenery is just incredible. It's truly incredible. And I don't know if it's just being older. I see it differently than when I was a kid, you know, I'm sure there's a little bit of that, but it has gotten much more advanced. Did you see those elements in video games back in the day from an art side or did you just view it? like Yeah. Most- yeah, yeah you I did. think the things that, uh, well, so your reality now and what your son's reality now is, is going to look 10 years from now. He's going to look back and like, you remember how stupid video games looked at <laughs> that one Zelda game. I used to play with my dad. That was like really low resolution. You know, yeah. this, he did it on this switch that had a very little tiny processor, but you know, now I'm wearing these VR um, contact lenses yeah. that you can see everything like it's like it's life. right there. Yeah. It's just, in the eye of the beholder at the time. So I was working on, or played games like Baldur's Gate. Yep. Where hand-painted backgrounds with the things, and it was just gorgeous. You know, it was really pretty. But now we look at it, and we're like, <laughs> I know. Look, at, look at that. That's, you know, that, whatever. So when you, this, and a little bit more on this, and then I want to talk about uh, the current time and, and, and these, these portraits. But when you approach, when there's a, like, a, can you walk me through really the development of a game? Because what I always find fascinating is amongst the, in the game, amongst all of the art and beauty and scenery and high, you know, resolution, all the graphics, there's a game, right? Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a concept that you have to do. You have to win something. You have to attempt something. There's a game. So what, what happens first? Explain to me how, how, how a game is born. If you will. What's the cycle of a game? Is it a concept of the game first and then the scenery is built around it? Does it all come at once? What does that look like? Uh, I think the, it, it's kind of all comes together at once when we're developers. So it could be that you've you got to find something that you're, that's going to be the fun. The fun is the important part. It could be beautiful. And if it doesn't play and it's not fun, no one's going to want to, right. you know, no one, you'll play Correct. for a little bit and you're like, this is a beautiful game right. that really sucks. Right. Or if it's too, too tough. So the, the fun is the important factor. Uh, so finding things that are fun to do. And then after that, you know, making it, the mechanics feel really nice and easy. So you could play it with whatever it is you're, you're playing it on. And then the art accentuates that and makes it, a different experience so it's uh you know otherworldly or an escapism things um a lot of it goes back to you know if you're playing call of duty some of the things in call of duty are things that you played as a kid kick the can uh capture the flag um some of these things except now you're using a little avatar and you're playing that same thing but in you know in a different reality so what so you focus on the fun and then build on top of that and are games, I always wondered, are games built for certain platforms? Do you know that going in or yeah. certain systems or, and then they get adapted? Like how does that work? Is it known from the most beginning? Most of the time. Yeah, most it of the is. time they're built for a system. Um, you, you couldn't make 
sometimes you can go backwards. Like we're making Call of Duty and now we're going to make Call of Duty for a mobile platform. And how would you do that? And how would you make it fun? Because you don't have all the processing power and the fun that you could do on a big thing or a, play, or a computer. But now you're working on a you know handheld system or something like that. So sometimes but is this code, is this complete, forth. is it completely in So like I'm, I talked about, and I said, Nintendo, we could just, for this is just for an example, do, do, does the video game developer, I'm sure they have their own, but like in someone like that, do you develop a game to pitch it to someone to sell? Like, you know what I mean? Or is it someone, they hire you to do it. So, you know, you're working with them. Is it all in the above? It just depends what the relationships like. Uh, so there are, Publishers, just like in the writing industry, and then um, you know they're the people that have the money that do the marketing and and pay the bills. Basically, yep. they're just like a a book is published by a writer and an illustrator. A game developer can work as an independent and work with the publisher to publish the game, or you can be owned by the publisher, I see. like we are. So our our company, Activision Blizzard which is, you know, they own a bunch of different companies and we work with them to publish the, the games that, you know, we help that, create. Right, right. And they, I, they do the market. I'm assuming they already have doing market research, seeing what's playing, oh, yeah. what's good, what people like, and then that all feeds, just like any product development, that all feeds into the product development, right? right? Mm -hmm. and, then, and then the last question I have on this, sorry, I'm, 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 you know, it's really interesting to me, is like, is there an average... I know it's complex. Is there an average time from idea to you have something to play? Is it is it years? Is it months? Does it completely depend? Uh, depends on the time scale, but uh, a game can take anywhere from six months for a small little handheld game to you know three to five years for you know bigger console, massively multiplayer online kind of games can take quite a while, um, and they're you know multi million dollar budgets, so yep. they're they're big. Yep. And it's gotten a lot, like you, like you mentioned, it's gotten a lot more complex with the ability to play online mm -hmm. and all these things I have to imagine. Well, now they're competitive sports and there's yeah. professional teams and people watching them, for, you know, millions of people in the stands. I mean, yeah, it's crazy. Um, so I've on this for, for a long time. <laughs> for one, for, for, for people that are listening to this on, on recording or they find this podcast later, we're recording this now in 2021. This is, we're right about to be in February. We are look right about one year into the, the COVID pandemic. And, um, you know, this is, has affected obviously everyone, everyone, uh, all businesses and everyone, these, and everyone's at home and personal life. You're, you're mentioning you're not in, you're working from home now, just like I am, just like most people are at this time. Um, I want to understand from you, tell me how, um, you know, clearly it affected how you work your home, but how has it affected you as a person? I mean, where, what have you seen? What about this pandemic? what has it really done for you? Like I, I, it made you, you, we're going to talk about how you turn to your art, but I'm wondering just on a personal effect, you know, what has it made you feel? What has it made you appreciate? What did you make you look at differently? Uh, it could have broken me. It really could have. I'm, I'm a very outgoing people person. I need to associate with people. I come mm -hmm. from a family of nine kids you know, that's a lot of kids and a an extended family with my brothers and their kids and their kids' kids. We're like 90. You know, if you're talking about how many people are in my immediate family, small immediate families, it's huge. And, you know, I, I need to be part of a group and working with and being part of things. So what if, what's happened with this is, you know, going home and being home. I'm a recent empty nester. 
just recently, right during the pandemic. So you've got your working alone, being alone, working in an office in, you know, at home alone. There's still a lot of alone. Yep. And, a lot. Uh, I think you, one of the humans things, were not meant to be in isolation like this for sure. Yeah. At least this human, this human was definitely <laughs> Same. not. Same. Uh, so what have I come to appreciate is I've really come to appreciate technology, you know, had this been back in the eighties, Oh my gosh, what would, I don't know what I would smoke signals. I have no idea. Yeah, It's uh, really come to appreciate technology and, and, uh, people's, uh, ability to adapt and make the most out of, you know, situations. So that's what I've come to appreciate a lot. So you have, or inherently have and had this sort of, I'm going to call it a hobby. It's probably more than that to you, but something that you love. And did, before you started in the, with the portraits, were you painting more? Were you, do, were you in doing more art in this time? I mean, you could just, just to channel some energy. Before the pandemics, okay. uh, before the pandemic, I would, you know, I'd travel quite a bit uh, with my wife for, for fun, but also with work. I was, you know, I do, travel uh, across actors and blizzard and stuff like that. And we, anywhere I go with, I'm traveling, I have sketchbooks. I have a lot of sketchbooks and fill them up. Uh, I'm sketching all the time. Every time I'm sitting anywhere in a meeting, uh, I sketch in my, you know, the back at church, just sketching people in the audience, you know, it keeps me paying attention. So there's that, but it's always been a hobby at work. When we had an office, we had a, um, figure drawing group that we would meet and, you know, draw like once a week. That was as much as I really did. I did some painting, but it was more for hobby. Uh, as soon as the pandemic hit though, uh, well, just before the pandemic, I wanted to get better at drawing and painting people because I like uh, people and emotion and being able to see emotion and uh, get something out of a painting it's a little different than a tree or a you know plant or a rock or something like that you can paint a pretty rock and people might be yeah. impressed but uh a person you get you can get something out of that that's what i was hoping for so when this pandemic hit uh we all got sent home and we we're working from home and i thought it was going to be a two-week thing you know it's like okay well whatever we're going to be home for two weeks it turned into a lot more than two weeks. And I said, there's no way I'm going to be able to just sit around and watch Netflix. And I'm going to, I'm, I need something. I need some sort of purpose. Why, why am I, what am I doing? Um, and that's when I went on, you know, some social media I was pretty new. I'm a newbie to uh, Instagram. I had the two followers and uh, saw on that, those pictures you were talking about the, yep. The frontline workers, a lot of them were from Italy. It was Time Managed, Time Magazine's Person of the Year. What was the name? There was a there was an Instagram account, right, Steve, that had like these that you saw, right? Yeah, is it was right? Time Magazine. It was Time. That's where yeah, they were. Okay, all right. Uh, and it came up on the news feed thing, and I'm like, wow. You know, that, that I was drawing relatives and friends, and I was bored silly out of it. You know, like, well, whatever, I don't care about this. There, there's no passion there. But when I saw these, the look in their eyes and the, the right. you know, the, they just looked hammered. It looked like they had just been through a battle and were, but they came out victorious. Like, hey, you know, we, we won. We came out of that, even though there wasn't really a win. It was just they made it through the day. Um, 
so I said, you know what, that's, there's, there's a lot of emotion in that, um, in that picture. And I, I wanted to paint them. So I painted three of them and in the article that had, uh, their Instagram tag or whoever it was that, you know, you knew you could tell who it was. And I sent an email to him or a IM to him and said, Hey, if you want this painting, I painted for you and I'll, I'll mail it to you. Uh, and they were like, Oh, this is great. I can't amazing. Thank you very much. And, um, I did that to a couple others and then reached out to some local, um, people, our nurses here that friends and family knew. And the reaction I got was, you know, this is, this is documenting a time in history and this is one of the best things that anybody's ever done. And the, uh, you know, you get the crying face emojis and, um, just the amount of uh, energy that it was getting back was so like, wow, I had no idea this was going to be so impactful. So this uh, was like in the context of like, you know, a lot we normally, when we talk to people on the show, I was mentioning this at the beginning, we say like, um, Hey, like, um, you know, um, what did you have your get over it moment in, in business or like in life? This necessarily isn't like you getting over it, but this is something where you saw something and it just channeled, you know, all of the passion that you have for art, you found a place to put it into. It's almost like a get over it moment. And it not, is a get over it right? moment. Yeah, it right? is. Cause it was a way for me to get out of, stay sane. Yep. It was, I tried to get over it with the, just, um, you know, doing family and friends and that just, it wasn't there, but then it connected with, here's a real purpose. Here's a real way to channel something like that. And that, that um, I just went in 110%. You know, so and I you felt it back when the response, I imagine. Oh, yeah. That, right? They were That's so what keeps me going. I mean, I, I don't get paid for this. And, I, right. you know, it takes up a lot of my time. But the the response you get back from these people, and I've painted people all over the globe now, you know. Yeah, that's the cool part. So talking about that, so it just sort of snowballed. So once, once people started to, you know, to see them and you got some recognition for it, it just sort of people would reach out to you and say, Hey, could you paint me? Is that what happened? Even before, even before it was on CBS news, because CBS news kind of blew it up. But before CBS news, I was following the the requests I was getting were coming from the hotspots. So I was getting a bunch of Italians I speak Italian and, and Spanish, and so I was back and forth with some of these Italians, and then it moved over to the UK and Spain, and then from Spain to New York City, and then New York City from there to um, across the US, and then down to Brazil, and then Mexico, and you know, then back to the US again. So it was these little hot spots that yeah. you'd see where there were there's spikes would come up. That's where you get all the requests in from those places. Yeah. But CBS News and CNN and Washington Post and you know, a lot of different places, those just blew it up. So how long does it take you to paint one of these portraits on average? I'm just curious. Uh, three to four hours, depending on um, how detailed some of this stuff is. If they've got a lot of, like a, a hat, you know, one of those PPEs that they have, and it's got, you know, a whole scene of a lot of stuff in it then that's going to take me a lot longer than if it's just a green hat. Right. Right. I think. And how many have you done now, Steve? 250. Wow. So something like this, uh, you can't see this on the radio, but that one is just a white uniform with a, you know, 
green mask and so what i'm looking vest. at there everybody is uh it looks like it's a it's a healthcare worker in a in a she's got a, a regular like an n95 mask and then a mm-hmm. shield over her what's incredible is the detail in the fold steve like how it lays like that um yeah. now do you she calls is it this her turkey baster outfit <laughs> Do you, is it, is it pencil? Do you sketch it, then paint it, or is it all paint? It's, it's pretty rough sketch at the beginning um, because you end up painting over it. It's, I use gouache. So whatever you paint on top, it covers it up. So it's a gouache, uh, opaque paint. So the, the sketch is pretty rough. Um, but then after that, it's, it's gouache later, layered and layered. I start with all the skin tones, get the skin tones. Yeah. Uh, it's really important for me to get all of the nuances in the face. So right, because that's where all the emotion is, right? Yeah. Well, it's not even just the emotion. If I draw you and you have a, let's say you have a little cut across your your eyebrow. And I have a crooked nose a little bit. And you have a crooked nose a little bit. Then if I don't get that, you don't see that as you. Right. Yeah. It's not you. It's somebody, oh, that's a nice painting, but that's not me. But you have that, you have the bloodshot eyes, you have the, you know, the damage to your face from the 95 masks uh, n95 masks and stuff that brings back all the emotion of that time you know the bloodshot eyes oh yeah that's that time i did that 12 hour shift and six people passed away on my shift and that was you know the worst day in my you know my career but i remember that time have you talked to these individuals some of them or i mean have you communicated with them uh, i communicate they- a lot digitally i haven't talked to um i think i've talked to probably less than six in in person um most of them have been on well one of them was from the cbs news in you know meeting because they they hooked that up (laughs) and i would have met her otherwise uh i think yeah there's a couple people that most of no most of it to answer your question is uh through back and forth IMs and Facebook as right. messengers. Just as you're doing it, so sort of like yeah. a, you're right. Okay. Back and forth stories and stuff like that. And there, there's some gut wrenching stories. Some, I don't put all that information always on my, my feeds cause I post them all. Cause some of them are probably, you know, a little too, too, uh, too tender to right. put out on social media. Like, yeah, this is the picture that my brother took of me on Facebook or uh, Zoom after I called him because my patient died. You know, right, you know? exactly. It's very raw. Right. right. And bef- before, where can um, – can you let everybody know your Instagram so they might be able yeah. to check that out? So it's S Derek D-E-R-R-I-C-K, underscore, Bunker Boy. Bunker boy, B U N K E R boy. I, you know what we'll do is we'll put it, we'll put the, in the show notes when the show comes out, we'll put, um, the link, the show notes. You can go through the, through the, um, the grid there and just take a look. You have some of them I'm scrolling through now where it's, um, um, you have some group shots of some, like, it looks like a group of nurses just looking up. Um, and, um, I see a lot with these, these, these American flag cat, like a group from New York. there, There must be a group, right? Yeah, it was a group of nurses from one hospital in New York. Yeah, that that's really cool. So, so Steve, what I mean, and also, is this? I know this was available digitally on like a like a in a museum where you can go and just check it out. Is it still available? Yeah, Albany Center Gallery did a, a pop up show when they could have. Um, I think they could have ten 
people in, in your gallery at one time. This was like a two-week thing, but it's still online at the Albany Center Gallery. If you go back through their history, mm -hmm. uh, people can check there's it out. currently a show in New York City, the Art on the Avenue in New York City on Columbus Avenue. There's six of my paintings in one of their um, portraits and paintings and things inside these abandoned storefronts to, you know, as a gallery along, oh, along Columbus Avenue. That's cool. And they have six of my paintings in the Rapid uh, rapid testing center for COVID in, wow. uh, in the city. That's we have some in the National Museum of Labor right now through through April. Wow! Did you ever think that would happen, Steve? No, to be <laughs> I didn't think any of this would happen. I thought I'd just be sitting around. Oh my god! So so where does that where does that take you in this in for for the future? Right at some point. You know, like, do you, does this just like reinforce this passion for you even more so? Do you, do you see yourself, you know, you know, as maybe when you retire or something like you're going to travel and do more painting or is, do you, do you see a new trajectory here? Or are you just going to continue doing things as they come? Um, I, I definitely have a passion and will always be painting. I think um, I'm still passionate about this, so I'm going to keep going, but hopefully there's something else I can find passionate that adds value um, hopefully I'm not doing it for free all the time because right, this is exactly this is that, you know, I've done a lot of paintings and it's, you know, it financially hasn't really made me a wealthy man, but, uh, eventually it would be nice to, you know, have something doing that's adds value, but also adds financial value back. But that's, that's not my goal right now. Well, I mean, the, the paintings are, are beautiful. And again, everyone you've got, we can, um, we'll put the link for the, for both things for, for my the Facebook is easy to Steve, uh, Steve Derek, Facebook. So it's Steve Derek on Facebook, S Derek underscore bunker boy, Instagram. Again, we'll put the link. It's easier to click. Um, and, um, you know, for everybody, it, you know, it's been a really tough time. The toughest time I've had, you know, it's been hard for me. It's been hard for my wife. And then it's hard for both of the two together in a relationship during this time where you have no outlet. And I think this underscores too, that if you do have a passion, if there's something that you really love, um, the best time to turn to a passion is in a time where you're down and you're feeling out. And, um, you know, for, I guess for, for everybody out there that, um, it's, it's in a similar spot, um, but has an outlet, like channel it right? Because you never know what's going to happen. Like in your case, you would have never expected that nope. this would be the, be the outcome. And it was all because you, um, you really channeled it, channeled it there. Do you, do you have anything to offer to anyone that you'd want to say, like someone struggling and has that, what, what would you say? Like, just, just, just go for it. Like, don't like, you know, yeah. were you, were you, were you, were you, were you like, were you worried that you wasn't going to be good or whatever? You just I went definitely worried I wasn't going to be good. I didn't think I was that good. Um, I think I've gotten better. If you look in, at my early paintings versus my later paintings, you know, 250 paintings later, you're going to get better. Um, so my my current paintings are much more realistic and um, better executed, but my early ones are just as impactful. And I think, did I think this was going to be, um, you know, well-known and recognized? No, but that wasn't my goal. It was more hey, I really think you're doing an amazing job being a nurse or a doctor or someone on the front lines, and I feel you. You know, you know so it was, it, it was it, more altruistic. Right, and, and, and you just went for it, and you see, here's, yep. here's, here's what happened. Um, and I, I, I will have to say, before I knew this existed, before I knew that you, that, that you were doing this, I recall seeing 
um, one of those images. And I, I don't remember when it was, but it was kind of in the thick of it. When I first saw the image of, I was a nurse or a doctor, just looking completely defeated with the lines on their face and me realizing how, made me realize how real this was. Mm -hmm. It made me realize um, a lot of things, how, how real it was, how serious it was, how thankful I was that there's people like that doing that every single day. Um, but I just remember it being a real, a real feeling, visceral, like I felt it. Um, but then I see it and then, you know, you go on with your, with your day, you saw it and channeled it. And I think it's fantastic and it's really beautiful work. So I just want to thank, thank you for doing it. Thank you for taking a little bit of time to, to talk to us on the show. Um, he is Steve Derrick. Um, I am Chris Pisano. This is the Get Over It podcast where, you know, people come together to discuss the various ways to just stop getting through it and start getting over it. So Steve, thanks so much for coming on. I really appreciate the time. <laughs>